Welcome to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast, a podcast about getting out from behind the keyboard and just talking. Each week, we invite a guest or two to sit down and talk about their life and their work. I'm Christopher Brown, your host, and this is the Cross-Border Interview Podcast featuring Herbie J. Pilato. Jay, I want to thank you so much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. Author of Mary, the Mary Tyler Moore story. Um, you are also an author of countless other books that I'm looking forward to getting into, including, and I want to just re- read off a few here because it tells a story of who you are. Dashing, Daring, and uh, Deb- Debonair, TV's top male icons from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Glamour, Gidgets, and the Girl Next Door, television iconic women's from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Two books on Elizabeth Montgomery, the uh, Bewitched star, the Bionic book, Life Story, the book of the life goes on, NBC and me, my life as a page in a book. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I start all my uh, interviews off with similar question. Where did your sense to write come from? Um, actually, it's, I guess I think it started in high school because I hated like multiple question exams and stuff like that, but I always did very well in the essays. And my teachers noticed that at the time. And then I directed, um, when I, in college, I would direct plays, but I enjoyed more writing about what the plays meant in, in, the, uh, in the exams. So I guess it was just always in me to, t- to um, be a, t- a storyteller. I don't know. And has it come easy to you to tell a story? Because for stories that you've written, like I said, uh, biographies on Elizabeth Montgomery, the Mary Tyler Moore story, you need to talk to people. Have you always been that engaging person where you want to find out more information? Because that, from my uh, opinion on reading the book, you are such a good interviewer to get the answers you're looking for to tell this story. Yeah, I mean, I always love people. You know, I'm a people person. It sounds so trite, but I am. I love um, learning about people and and what makes them tick. And, you know, I, I just, I've always loved life too. So it's just intertwined, you know. I'm very interested in others, interested in life. And to actually share my thoughts, which is why I love, you know, social media so much. As a writer and a communicator, I get to to post all day long, <laughs> not just to promote my work, which is neat, but to really, you know, co- connect with people. And I always try to take the high road in that. And I actually have always tried to take the high road in my writing as well. I've never uh, written salaciously uh, in, my, in my books. I've told the truth about Mary and Elizabeth, who are both very complicated people, but anybody who reads those books or any of my books, you can see my heart is in them. You know, I didn't like admire and love these people my whole life and then set out, decided to set out to to destroy them in some way uh, with a hurtful, mean-spirited book. That's not my MO. Complicated is a key word that I want to touch on here because from the outset of the Mary Tyler Moore story, the book Mary, um, you can you you set up the understanding that it was not all sunshine and roses for Mary growing up and moving to Hollywood and also in the move in the uh, uh, entertainment industry. 
we we see uh, Mary Tyler Moore as the outgoing personality that she was on her shows. How was it was it hard for you to do that to portray a person who has been so misunderstood because people think that she's so happy and put her into more of a 3D context? Well, you know, actors and and writers and directors and really every artistic person in the world is complicated. And whatever issues they have are really no different than the the rest than the issues that the rest of us or the rest of the world has. It's just that whatever issues they do have are exacerbated because they're in the public eye. So going into it, I knew into writing Mary, I knew that she was not a regular person, number one, because actors are not regular people. And I was, I had heard that she was challenging at times, but I also heard that she copped to it. She didn't, you know, say, oh, you know, she was honest with herself as much as she could be. She had written, you know, to her own biographies and memoirs before. Um, so, and she admitted that she was an alcoholic. She admitted that she was not the best mother in the world. She admitted that she overdid it with plastic surgery, but there was still not an objective voice to that. And I wanted to, you know, if anybody was going to give that objective voice, I wanted to be the one to do it because I felt that I would still do it with respect, whereas I think another writer would not have. One of the earliest relationship that anyone has is with their mother and father and Mary's relationship with her mom and dad were not the most rosy at times. Uh, she had a complicated relationship with your father, as you mentioned in the book, and her mother dealt with alcoholism for the majority of her young life. Um, was entertainment an escape for Mary, do you think? I don't think it was an escape. I, I think she was driven, you know, I mean, she was, she wanted to be a star, which her mother and father did not want her to yeah. do whatsoever, especially her dad. And they wanted her to just have be a regular person, you know, and she wasn't that. She had this talent. She wanted to be a dancer originally, you know, and she wanted to be a, a movie musical star. But by the time she came into adulthood, the kinds of movies that she loved, like the MGM musicals and whatnot, they weren't making them anymore. Um, but if you watch, you know, any episode or a good number of episodes of the Dick Van Dyke show, you see her sing and dance with Dick Van Dyke, which to me is just magical. And she has she does these little mini musical numbers um, on that show, which I think are terrific. Her time on uh, the Dick Van Dyke show, she, she sort of blew up in the scale of people knowing who she was because before that it wasn't really that uh, she didn't really have that much of a sta uh, stapled career until the Dick Van Dyke show. Uh, you talk in the book that so many of those connections that she made on that show stayed with her for the rest of her life. She, uh, one of them that I want to talk about is Bill. I want to, I'm probably going to pronounce his name wrong here, but Bill Persky, Persky, yeah. Persky, Persky. Yeah, he was a writer. What was their relationship really like? Because he was a writer on the show. She was an actress. They were both really starting off in their career. How did their relationship mold into their budding friendship that they had over the uh, their life? Yeah, Bill is a wonderful guy. My gosh, and he's responsible for so much. 
uh, of, of the Dick Van Dyke show, you know, the pillow episode where they go to court, Rob and Laura go to court, which is one of my favorite. Um, and then he went on to create that girl, you know, and, 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 and other shows, but they just formed a strong friendship. And he admitted later on that, you know, he had kind of a crush on Mary. I mean, who's not going to have a crush on Mary Jo Moore? But it was funny because he kind of compared it to when Mary did the Mary Tyler Moore show and Lou and she, Mary Richards and Lou Grant had a date. And then, you know, they, I guess they tried to kiss at one point and at her apartment and they both laughed because it just wasn't going to happen. It's just not what the, what the relationship was. So that kind of sort of was the case with Bill and Mary. He had this affection for her from afar, but kind of knew that he wasn't her type. But he remained her 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 dear friend for the rest of her life. As a matter of fact, towards the end of her life, um, her her third husband, uh, Dr. Robert Levine, who she, who was dedicated to marrying in the last thirty years thirty years of her life, asked Bill to write a, a one woman show for Mary because she wanted to work and she needed to work, and he did, but. She she died before and she became ill before any of that could have happened. But that would have been uh, tremendous for Mary to return to the stage in that big way in a one woman show. You, you talk you've talked openly in uh, previous interviews that I did when researching you and during the book, uh, Mary, that it was really her decision to end the Dick Van Dyke show. It was her leaving that uh uh, to pursue other careers, to become that leading actress, because she had just been nominated for Emmys. So she was becoming that uh, star power that she was desperately looking for to become an actress. She she decided to go out on her own. Was this hard? Was this a, a challenging uh, time? Because still, you're talking about the late 60s. It is not the most or the early 60s i apologize the most uh, appropriate time for women to try to be that leading figure in their life because you only have people like lucille ball who was able to potentially do it in a more grand grandiose way yeah i mean everyone said that dick van dyke wanted to end the show or that carl reiner wanted to end the show i don't think they did um, I think Mary definitely wanted to end the show, not because she didn't love being on the show, but because Grant Tinker was motivating her and and she, and she too to be a movie star. I mean, she wanted to still be a movie star. So, I mean, Dick Van Dyke, you know, did Mary Poppins and and, and other films. <laughs> he would have still done the show, uh, Dick Van Dyke show, and still done films as well. But Mary just wanted to leave it behind and move on. Now, Grant Tinker was involved really was the motivator behind all of this. He Mary, when they first met on the set of the Dick Van Dyke show, Mary was in her first marriage uh, to Richard uh, Meeker, who gave her her son, Richie also, which was the same name as little Richie on the TV show, Dick Van Dyke show. Um, but Grant was really the one responsible for her uh, being pushed to the forefront of the Dick Van Dyke show to the, you know, utter, um, objection of Rosemary, who thought that she was going to be the female star. So uh, Grant said, look, we got to push Mary in the front. You know, she Mary left her husband, her first husband, Mary Grant. And then she became a real co-star on that series. So Grant took that potential and said, now we got to make, you know, her a movie star. Well, he was very good at what worked on television because he came from the 
advertising world, which is how he connected with the Dick Van Dyke Show. He's one of the ad men um, who headed the advertising for the Dick Van Dyke Show. But he didn't know the movie world, so he ended up picking these really bad films um, for Mary to star in. It was okay that she did, what, Thoroughly Modern Millie um, with Julie Andrews, but that was really Julie Andrews' film. Um, so Mary would do other movies, or he picked these other movies. She had a contract with the Universal, and the last film she did was uh, a Change of Habit, um, playing a nun. Yeah. He said uh, Elvis Presley as a surgeon, and I always <laughs> just like what? And that just went nowhere. Well, plus um, I think if I'm not mistaken, it was Elvis's first movie where he didn't sing one note. If I'm not mistaken, too. He had a guitar. He played the guitar. I okay, think. he might have played the guitar, but I don't because I remember watching that and going, "Where's Where's the musical number every five ten minutes?" So yeah, yeah, it wasn't, and, you know, it also didn't have the sheen of his other movies. Yeah, oh, so it had you know by '69 or and after uh, post Bonnie and Clyde, they had that realistic movies had that started to have that realistic look and the 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 shimmer and shine that Mary really fell in love with with MGM. Was not there. It looked like a bad TV movie, is what it looked like. I mean, a lot of movies look like that. So that was a bomb, you know. And then Dick Van Dyke, the same year that um, A Change of Habit was released in 1969, he approached Mary about doing a TV special called Dick Van Dyke and the Other Woman, and he essentially gave her that 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 special, um, and everybody loved it. You know, Dick Van Dyke and Mary Taylor Moore are back on TV where they belonged. And CBS was knocked out by her performance and they gave her the Mary Taylor Moore show. There's a few uh, topics that we sort of uh, breezed over a bit because there's one area that you talk about in the book that I was actually shocked about because I didn't know that she played this part. After the Dick Van Dyke show, she went to uh, went uh, on to live theater. She did Breakfast with Tiffany's. And yet again, she has a string of bad movies, but this was the catalyst of the bad of the bad because you you set it up so perfectly in the book, and I I I, I, I hope my listeners go out and buy the book and read it because you you paint a picture that she was depressed at this time that she was getting bad reviews after coming off such a major hit like the Dick Van Dyke Show. Yeah, yeah. And in Breakfast at Tiffany's, you know, I don't know if it was all that bad. She wasn't bad in it, but it just wasn't, um, you know, doing it for the audience. And it had um, Richard Chamberlain, who was also a a TV star coming off of Dr. Kildare. So I don't know if it was because they were both TV people that didn't really transfer all that well to the stage, which is a very different form of acting than than the subtle TV uh, acting of the time. Today, the TV is so subtle, I can't understand anything anybody's saying because all they do is mumble and everything's in the dark. <laughs> but, um, but then, um, you know, it, they had half a chance to do it, but it just didn't, it just didn't click. So yeah, you know, if she would have stayed with the Dick Van Dyke show and did a couple more years, which the show may have gone into color, uh, which would have been great, and then eased her way more, or, or still done movies while doing the, the two potential color uh, seasons of Dick Van Dyke. She would have had a, best, her, a, bet, a better shot at it. And this happened too when she left the Mary Tyler Moore show. 
you know, which she really didn't want to do. This time she didn't want to do it. Everybody else around her did. And she wanted to do a variety show. And, you know, Carol Burnett just finished that tremendous 11-year run of her show. She did it the best that anybody could do. The variety show was changing. It wasn't what it used to be. And it bombed. And Grant Tinker did not want her to do that show this time. Like he wanted her to do the movies. He says, don't do it. Don't do it. But she did it. And it was first called Mary. And she was like a straight out variety show. And then that lasted three episodes. Yep. They re- rebooted it as the Mary Tyler Moore Hour, where she played a character hosting a variety hour, kind of like ha- hearkening back to Jack Benny and George Burns, the way they used to do it with uh, playing people who had uh, variety shows. But it was just like, we weren't ready for that, you know, in the 70s. Like, what? And we wanted Mary Richards back on TV. And they even had the same, uh, a similar tone version of the Mary Tyler Moore show theme in Mary Tyler Moore Hour, but it just wasn't. And she looked beautiful. By the way, she had this new short haircut. She looked beautiful. But she didn't start the surgery yet, but it just wasn't working. Didn't work. And then she did First You Cry, her first TV movie, based on Betty Rowlands, a true life story about uh, who had breast cancer, the journalist. And during this time, uh, she loses someone close to her, her sister. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth uh, passes away at the age of 21 when sort of the... She, Mary's going through a rough time herself and this happens. Did this cause the potential of alcoholism? Because you do mention a few times in the book that she struggled a bit with it herself as well. Well, I think the alcoholism just- It's part of the industry? So many things. First of all, everybody drank in those days, (laughs) the 60s. On On TV and off. You'd go over to somebody's house, hey, let's have a drink. You know, or even on Dark Shadows, which I love. Everybody was having sherry all the time. I'm bewitched. Everybody's drinking. But it goes it goes back further to when she was a little girl. Number one, her dad, so her mother was an alcoholic. And that was a genetic thing. They say it's a genetic thing, okay? Uh, then Mary was sexually abused as a little kid, okay? Back in, uh, their, in New York City by a neighbor in their apartment building. So that destroyed, that was the beginning of the destruction of any self-esteem that she might've had. Um, Then later on, you know, uh, just the the overall demands of her parents and the demands of the industry. Okay, you're gonna, combined with the socialism of um, drinking all the time, everybody went out to parties and drank, drank, drank. It was a bad, it was a bad mix. But then when she was diagnosed with diabetes, the first season or the first year she did the Mary Tyler Moore show, you know, diabetes and alcohol, not good. Don't mix. <laughs> no mix, okay? Yes. Now, plastic surgery and diabetes. I mean, look, at I'm all for looking the best you can look. I'm all for it. You know, a little tuck here, no problem as you age. But she took it to the Michael Jackson level. And I believe, and I've said this before, I believe had she not had those extensive plastic surgeries, which we can talk about later if you want. Yeah. Um, which tra- any surgery traumatizes your body. I'm not a doctor, okay? But yeah. any surgery traumatizes your body. Selective surgery when you have diabetes, not a good thing. And had she not had that extensive surgery, I think she would still uh, would be alive today, in my opinion. 
let's talk about it because she is open in her books about this, about the fact that she's always trying to look the best that she possibly can. And I'd like the analogy that you talk about that she did what Michael Jackson did as well, but she was the first to it in some sense that it was surgery after surgery after surgery to try to keep that presence of who Mary Tyler Moore is. Well, and the more she tried to keep that presence of who Mary is, Mary, who Mary was disappeared. Did she realize that? I don't think she did. I really don't think she did um, because she went, it was one thing to get um, the first teeth implants, which was like circa 1983, four, five-ish, when she returned to TV briefly in the Mary half hour sitcom. Mary, the variety show was different. Mary's sitcom with, uh, um, what's his name? James Ferentino. Okay, it was yeah. kind of like a reboot of the Mary Tyler Moore show. You know, James Ferentino was playing a very Lou Grant-esque series or character. Um, but it, she looked good, but it didn't look right. And then she got um, cheekbones, new cheekbones. And those adorable full cheeks that she had that everybody had loved and identified with as Mary were gone. And that happened when she did in 1990 a TV series called Annie McGuire which was a half hour dramedy. Dramedies were big. Cooperman yeah. was, you know, John Ritter was doing it. Uh, Miss Dr. Bill, or what was that name? Bill, Bill with uh, Dabney Coleman. Oh, uh, my yeah. mind's blanking right now. I'm it wasn't Mr. Bill. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so half hour dramedies like that were very successful, were, were, were the thing. And that show that she did, Annie McGuire, was great. But you looked at it, she had the short hair, which she had already done for the Mary Tyler Moore Hour. Her cheekbones, or her, her her little full cheeks were gone, and she was thin, 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 which was a result, too, of diabetes. Some people gain weight, other people can't gain weight, which was her case with diabetes. And you looked at that, and it's like, what? 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 And she destroyed her looks, in my opinion. And then she started doing other these other movies very that were very, very different than than Mary Richards or Laura Petrie, just like Elizabeth Montgomery would do, you know, the legend of Lizzie Borden and you know, case of rape. Mary started doing all these heavy-duty uh films to prove that she was an actress, which is ridiculous because any actor will tell you that it's harder to do comedy than it is to do drama. But Mary got lost. She just got lost. Yeah, lost. We couldn't recognize her. She couldn't even see, recognize that she made she she made these really bad decisions. She kept on doing it more, and she kept on becoming less and less of the appealing person, not just physically, but the appealing performer of who we all fell in love with. When does the studio like? For me, if I'm looking at the situation, I'm seeing Mary go through this. Studios must have to step in, or is it because she has MTM, she's able to do this and not have to worry about what other people are saying? She was a very powerful person yeah. in the industry. You know, I'm going to say maybe feared a little bit, but <laughs> she had a lot of, of pull. And um, she was very, very, I mean, she really guided MTM enterprises more than just being the face for it you know she wasn't just the face for it. she was in 
in those casting sessions with Grant for Hill Street Blues and 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 you know all of those shows, uh, the White Shadow. She was heavily involved in the leadership qualities of that company. Um, she was heavily involved with the leadership of the Mary Tyler Moore show oh, too, right? Oh, absolutely. Like she was the one who was driving that show. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and she had a couple tantrums on the set. Wasn't pleased early on, wasn't pleased with a lot that was happening with that show. She didn't want Luke or Ed Asner originally. Uh, she didn't think it was right for the role. Obviously that was great. But then when they, um, and he, uh, he totally, um, said that it, it makes it clear that she was responsible for making him a name and a star. And I did, you know, tons of things before the Mary Tyler Moore show, but he became a star because of that show. But later on, they did a movie, um, Payback. It was a TV movie where his production company produced, produced the pro, the, 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 the production and Mary was working for him, you know, and she, before she was the boss. Now he was yeah. the boss and that kind of rubbed her the wrong way. Plus she didn't look right. She felt uncomfortable with that. Her looks again came into play and she sabotaged, she tried to sabotage that film um, and she wouldn't promote it because she was unhappy with it. And it was very upsetting to add. They remained friends, um, but it was upsetting to him. And by this time he, you know, Mary was no longer a liberal. She was a conservative. She'd gone to the right and Ed was a heavy liberal. So there were issues there too. Um, it's just very strange. Just what very was the change? What was the moment? Because you talk about uh, McCain wanting to uh, like have her out on the campaign trail, John McCain, Senator yeah. John McCain, when he was running for president. What was the moment that Mary decided that she was no longer democratic? Democrat, I should say. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm no political analyst, okay? And I'm no, no political scholar, but I hope I don't get, get in trouble for saying this, but most Republicans love money. <laughs> yep. More than not that liberals don't money. I love money, okay? I mean, I'm an in-betweener, um, but they really love money most of them and she was very rich and maybe she was just saying well, you know what now that i got all this money <laughs> i mean i don't know it was you know she was also a catholic yeah you know conservative catholic and um which changed too so cac most many catholics are conservative and blah 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 i mean again i'm not a political scholar i uh, so i she just changed she changed because she felt maybe again, just like with her face, that a change would do her good. You, you, you've talked briefly about Ed Asner's relationship. Dick Van Dyke and her stayed really good friends and they were quite uh, friendly to each other throughout their life. Uh, but there's one person that you talk about in uh, uh, interviews and that you were shocked about that you learned that while they got along, they did fight as well and they weren't as friendly as most people would assume they are. And that's Rhoda. Yeah. Yeah. That was tough. That was tough to learn. And it's not as though they hated each other, but as with all relationships, you know, close relationships, you're not going to get along, you know, 24 hours a day. It's not normal. Um, but Valerie Harper too was a scene stealer and she had a lot of talent. And, and she was beautiful. 
Um, so she was getting courted by other networks to, to have her own show while she was doing the Mary Tyler Moore show. CBS didn't want to lose her. Um, and so they gave her the road, road, a spinoff, which Mary had a hand in anyway. It's not like, you know, she wasn't going to, uh, reap the rewards of that, of, of the Rhoda thing. So, but there was, there was some tension, you know, on the set because Valerie would see, steal those scenes. But later on, like when they did the, the Marion Rhoda TV movie, which is the worst TV movie of all time. Wow. Throwing shade. In my opinion. And the reason I say that is because when you do a reunion movie, which is a very unique animal, okay, you can't destroy the mythology in any way, shape, or form of the original concept that you're trying to remake. So the original Mary Tyler Moore show was a sitcom, a half-hour sitcom that was filmed in front of a live audience. The Marion Rhoda TV movie was a movie without the audience and Everybody's like, what universe is this? Is a parallel universe? It wasn't the same. It was it wasn't the same. It started out as a half hour concept, by the way. They were going to do like a new sitcom, a Mary Broder sitcom. But that didn't work, so they ended up doing this movie. Valerie was a producer on the on the film, and she wanted more power. Mary wouldn't give it to her. She was not pleased about that, and the rift kind of continued you know, and got came straight. stronger. And it's an odd thing because by that time too, Mary, sorry, as plastic surgery, she was she was definitely gone. We didn't. She was unrecognizable, yeah. and the, all the the little things that an actor can do with their regular face was gone because it was her plastic face. And there was Valerie Harper looking gorgeous and the same, aging gracefully against some other version of Mary Tyler Moore. Mary had, like you said, she had massive hits and she had some massive failures. One of the areas that we talked about briefly, and I want to go back to it a little bit here, is Broadway. She was always trying to make sure she got her uh, redemption from uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. And it came with Whose Life Is It Anyway? when she when it was recast as a female lead compared to a male lead. She got her... Uh, ovation in some sense uh, because she was not awarded the Tony. You would mention this in the book. Was that the redeeming moment for her, for her failures in the sixties that this, this Broadway show was going to potentially bring her back into that stardom that she was so uh, always wanting and always craving. Yeah, I, I would say absolutely. Yes. That did for her, for the stage, what ordinary people did for her in the movies. You know, when she played um, that bitter woman who lost a son to suicide uh, in, what was it, 1980, something like that. That was also the same year that her son um, died accidentally of shooting himself. And there was a lot of rumor that, you know, he committed suicide like the character, you know, in the film, but that, that wasn't the case, at least that's not what Mary said. Mary said it was an accidental shooting. So yeah, just like that film brought her to the big screen, like she kind of originally wanted to, even though it wasn't a musical, um, Whose Life Is It Anyway, saved her from the embarrassment of uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's in the 60s. 
she she had an extensive career. She worked up until probably about three or four years until she, or almost up until she passed away, until she was diagnosed uh, with her tumor on her brain, which uh, for someone who is currently going through that process, uh, who just got that diagnosis, I, I took a moment because I didn't know that that's what she was actually, pa- she passed away from. So it actually hit me a little bit harder than I thought this book was. So I can tell you, your book made me cry in probably not a part that you probably thought it would, or probably you want people to uh, do that. But uh, in uh, that, that uh, diagnosis that Mary got of the brain tumor, it changed her. It was well, first of all, are you okay? What's going oh, on? Oh yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I have a, there's a tumor. I have a tumor on the back on my occipital lobe of my brain. I'm going through radiation treatment right now. So like I said, like, as I was reading your book and about what Mary's diagnosis was, I was like, Oh, okay. It's not exactly what I, she was diagnosed with, but because she, it wasn't on her actual brain. It was on the skull of her brain. It was pressing onto her brain. Mine's actually on the brain. So I, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to go into this right now <laughs> because I'll start crying and we won't be finished in the interview. Okay. So, but right, well, we'll talk after this. Okay? Yeah. We'll talk afterwards okay. if you want that brain tuber diagnosis. Yeah. Her husband's a doctor. Her third husband's a doctor. Yeah. She gets this news. This, this is not, uh, this is not what it's going to be because she knows probably that this is probably going to be shortening her life. You know, I mean, again, I'm not a doctor. Um, I'm not a political. We've we've just established that I'm not a political analyst. And I'm not a doctor. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I can't help but think that um, you know, just the the trauma for her in particular, the trauma of the 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 alcoholism, the diabetes, the plastic surgery just all messed with the physicality of her body in some way. Um, And, you know, she had that surgery the day after, um, or shortly thereafter, her reunion on the Rachel Ray show with Dick Van Dyke. Rachel Ray made her set to look like the living room of the Petries on the Dick Van Dyke show, just like, Oprah had done the same with the, the set of the Mary Tyler Moore show and got the reunion of that cast together. Rachel Ray got Dick Van Dyke and Mary together on a her fake uh, Petri set, and it was wonderful. And they threw a birthday party for Mary because I guess it was around her birthday, and she yeah. brought uh, they they brought this big cake out, and Mary, who had diabetes, because it was sugar, she was even she wanted to have a piece, you know, it was just, she was just adorable. And it was so wonderful to see them. But that was her last on screen appearance that I can recall. Um, and the next day she wanted the surgery, she was never the same again. She never recovered from that original surgery. And she lingered for like five years after that, if not a little longer, in pain, in suffering, in seclusion, it was, I mean, her, her face at some point fell. I, there's these horrible photos that I saw where it just fell. Horrible. It was horrible. 
horrible time. She was pale because she couldn't get out into the sun because of the medication, you know, for that she was on for, for various painkillers, whatever. It was horrible. She suffered those last five years of her life, last five, six years of her life, like never before. Her husband, again, dedicated loved her dearly you know he was like 15 years younger than her she was one of the first cougars it was, it, but it was just a, a a horrible it was devastating and she also before that reunion with dick van dyke on rachel ray they did the dick van dyke show revisited which is the second worst tv movie in the history of television <laughs> Okay, so we've learned one thing from this interview. Don't let Mary Tyler Moore do a uh, television reunion with anyone because it will be the worst in Herbie J's opinion. No one could ever do anything. Well, it was just strange. You know, it was just strange. She, first of all, Ray Romano is hosting this thing that was on TV. Carl Reiner wrote it, which was great. But it was so conscious of itself. Okay, Dick Van Dyke was terrific in it because he found his voice as Rob Petrie again. Anne Morgan Gilbert found her voice as Millie. Rose Marie, God bless her, was was still with us and found her voice again as as Sally. And Jerry Van Dyke was great as Stacy, Rob's brother. But Mary Tyler Moore could not find her voice again as Laura, whether it had to be to do with plastic surgery she had and, or that she didn't even she didn't even look like Mary Richards anymore. But yeah. she was ultimately playing Mary Richards married to Rob Petrie. And it was like. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. It wasn't this. If they would have just done a half hour episode um, that did not have some ridiculous intro by Ray Romano, who I love, by the way, and just ran it like an episode of the Dick Van Dyke show. Started from the, we never saw Rob or um, Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore as Rob and Laura in that living room. We saw them in some other house that they moved into, and uh, and we saw Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore dressed up and elegant, you know, playing as themselves later in, in the set, on the set, like, oh, isn't this fun? But we never saw them in character on yeah. that set, which, by the way, was still in 1960s furniture in 2004, which made no sense, made no logical sense that they would still have the same furniture in the house, which was now owned by Richie, played by uh, Larry Matthews, only given two seconds on screen, which was ridiculous. Um, so there, I just have, look, I just got major issues with that reunion. Major. I feel like I could just say, go and just give me a shot for shot why you don't like this reunion. And please just keep it colorful because it's great for an audio show. It's not good if you don't talk. So, so since I did that... <laughs> Oh, I love you, Carol Reiner. I love you, Dick Van Dyke, but I love you, Romano, but it just didn't work for me. Some things don't always work the way that you think they're going to. Um, Mary passed away a couple of years ago. She last, uh, left a lasting impression on Hollywood, on movies, on comedy, on business in the industry. In your opinion, what do you think Mary would want people to remember her for? 
that smile, man. I mean, she, you know, it's funny. TV stars like Mary and Elizabeth and Larry Hagman, they get designated as these particular characters, you know, whether it's Major Nelson and JR uh, for Larry or Samantha for uh, Elizabeth or Laura or Mary Richards for Mary. But ultimately, they come to peace with it, especially if they live long, live long enough like Mary and Larry did to understand that, you know, to come into the TV land generation that, oh, my God, people still love you as much as they did, you know, now as they did in in the 60s and 70s. And Mary saw that, especially because of her appearances on like Rosie O'Donnell, who was a big TV, classic TV fan, and she had Mary on her show several times, her talk show. So Mary understood that I guess it's okay to be known as Laura Petrie and Mary. She didn't want to be known as Laura Petrie when she did the Mary Tyler Moore show. I mean, Jerry Van Dyke did the Mary Tyler Moore show, but Dick Van Dyke never made an appearance on the Dick Van Dyke show because Mary didn't want any association with it. She ultimately came to peace with it shortly after when Dick made an appearance on a variety show, uh, the, one of the Mary sh- variety shows, but she still had issues with being known as Mary Richards. But then she came to peace with it. So she was okay in the end because she still felt the love that everybody had, no matter what she did after it and no matter what she did before it, no matter the uh, Oscar nomination for Ordinary People or in the Golden Globe Award for uh, Ordinary People or the stage performance on Whose Life Is It Anyway, she was still known as Mary Richards and Laura Petrie. And in the end, she was okay with that. She was at peace with that. What impression did she leave on the industry, though? What is one thing that people can go, you know what, we're doing this because of Mary. We're doing it this way because this is the way that Mary was able to so eloquently set it up in a way that whether it be a a good old fashioned sitcom or uh, like the Mary Tyler Moore show show or a great supporting character or then turned into a uh, like one of the main characters on the Dick Van Dyke show. What was the staple that Mary Tyler Moore left in Hollywood. The Mary Tyler Moore show changed the face of television, not just for the fact that it, you know, was this great woman's liberation movement empowerment thing that they didn't consciously set out to do. That just happened. Um, But because of the writing where the characters uh, were written with more texture on the Mary Tyler Moore show as opposed to the Dick Van Dyke show, which was sophisticated for its time. But the Mary Tyler Moore show took things to the next level. They would do more of, you know, when a character would talk, uh, you know, there would be more reminiscences of like, say, if Lou Grant said, well, I remember once when I was a boy, if he'd be having this conversation with say Ted Knight uh, about something, they would relate it to something in their past and they would go on this side tangent. That kind of writing wasn't there before, you know? If so, just very, very, very briefly. So the Mary Tyler Moore Show changed the face of writing for television uh, and the way TV shows were presented, sitcoms certainly. Um, And then they took it to a next level with Hill Street Blues for drama. You know, Mary, Mary changed the face of television drama with the, the steady cam or the whatever portable cam and you know things the, the angles became this and the lighting became different and 
and the characters became more textured on drama shows. Um, in the industry, that's what she did for the industry. In life, what she did for, for single independent women is tremendous. Uh, career women, I mean, many women, including Oprah and, and Katie Couric went on to become journalists because of Mary Richards on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Um, so she just had this impact across the board while in the midst of it all, making millions and millions of dollars and making millions and millions of people happy with her smile. Usually when uh, authors write a story or write a biography like uh, uh, Mary, the Mary Tyler Moore story, they learn something about themselves. Did you learn anything while writing this story? Did you learn anything about yourself? Of, about me? Yeah. Did you learn anything when you wrote this of, you know what? That's a good way to look at life. That's a good way to do this. I think of myself a lot, <laughs> but I, I really didn't think of myself that much as when, when writing the book. I was just so immersed in trying to make it the best book I ever wrote to be as objective as I could with it, because that was not the case with Twitch Upon a Star, because I knew Elizabeth Montgomery and I knew her family and it was very hard to lift myself out of that and write objectively, although I did as the best I could, but not as much as I did with Mary, the Mary Tyler Moore story. And I became a better writer too, uh, between 2012 and 2017. I'm very, I'm very, very proud of Mary, the Mary Tyler Moore story. I'm proud of all my work, but most proud of that because uh, I worked so hard on it to be for it to be the best book it could be and to be the it, for it to be the best book that I could could have written so before we wrap up and uh, I ask you a few more tidbit uh, questions where can people buy the book where can people buy Mary the Mary Tyler Moore story you can certainly buy it you know directly from me personally signed you know via my website herbertjpilato.com um, and you can contact me through Facebook as well. I'm all over Facebook. I've got a bazillion groups there and, and Instagram and, and LinkedIn and Twitter. But it's a little more price. I got to tell you, it's a little more price when you order directly from me. But if you go to Amazon.com, uh, um, it's the hardcover is only nineteen ninety five. So, so there I'm going to just clarify that because I saw that I, I heard you say that on a, another interview. The Canadian version is not 1995. It is not. No. Do you want to know how much it is in Canada? How much? Sorry, Canada. How much? 111 bucks. <laughs> okay. In that case, Canadians, <laughs> you can email me, hjpilato at yahoo.com or go to my website and you can order a personally signed copy for $50. Okay. Not a hundred. Cause that's what I, I charge pers for personal copies, personally signed copies. Wow. Sorry, Canada. So sorry. I will link your website, your social media, your Instagram, your Twitter in the show notes for anyone wanting to go re uh, reach out and get a book. I highly recommend you do that. Uh, oh. But be before we do go, I have a one last question for you. Yes. Elizabeth Montgomery, Mary yes. Tyler Moore. Yes. There's usually always a third book somewhere in someone's mind. Who's next? <laughs> It's coming. 
It's coming. I wanted to say to um, Chris, first of all, you are terrific. Thank you so much. And, and does everybody see we matched? This is not planned. Okay, this was not, this just happened. I well, yet again, this is an audio podcast. So this is, oh. we're wearing the same, <laughs> we're wearing purple shirts. No, it doesn't, I can do anything. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, everybody, we're wearing purple shirts. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, well, we can edit this part out. Um, oh, leave it in, leave okay. it in. <laughs> um, so what was I saying? Oh, so yes, I, if you can, uh, check out my TV show, which is on Amazon Prime and Amazon Prime UK. Um, one of my, I did in the first season, it's called Then Again with Herbie J. Pilato. And in the first season, I interview Burt Ward and the, dark, uh, the gang from Dark Shadows, the wonderful David Selby, Lara Parker, and Catherine Lee Scott, and Robert Conrad, and Ed Asner is one of my guests on that show. And we talk about Mary. So if you love Mary Tellamore and you love classic TV, check out Then Again with Herbie J. Pilato on Amazon Prime and Amazon Prime UK. We will hopefully have it in Amazon Prime Canada. <laughs> well, yeah, we're hopefully it won't cost $100 to watch every minute. So. <laughs> Herbie, I want to thank Herbie J. I want to thank you so much for doing this. This has been uh, a great interview and a great chat. I, I love the book. I, I appreciate you taking your time out of your day and sitting down and chatting with me for the show. So greatly appreciate it. Chris, thank you so much. Thank you once again for listening to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you love this episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. All the links to our social media accounts are in the show notes or visit www.crossborderinterviews.ca. The Cross Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates Incorporated. Be sure to tune in for our next episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. Once again, thank you. Bye-bye.